great. I have to follow Dwayne Laughlin, and now I've got to follow that act? <laughs> so picture uh, directory. That is a great idea. And Christmas cards with it. So this is what you ought to do. Show up wearing your ugly Christmas sweater. <laughs> then when guests come and they're looking through the directory, they'll go, these people are weird. <laughs> Get that out of the way right away, because they're eventually going to figure that out. We're all just a, a little bit weird. Uh, text today is Luke chapter 15. Um, I have verses 1 through 8 on the slide there. It's actually verses 1 through 7. Sorry about throwing that extra one in there. So I was told last week that I could just go ahead and preach until the next crew shows up. So, okay, well... I'll try not to do that because I want to get a donut. <laughs> In A New Hope, which is a movie, which a few of you already know what that is, it's, it's the original Star Wars movie, there's this guy named Obi-Wan Kenobi, which I think is an awesome name, but my wife wouldn't let me name any of our kids that. <laughs> wouldn't even let me name the dog that, has this line where he's talking about this town, and this town is called Moss Eisley, and never will you find a more wretched hive of scum and villainy. I just love that line. And then he goes there anyway, and that's what I like about him. Yeah, I think he could have gone other places to accomplish what he needed to do, but he needed to go to this wretched hive of scum and villainy in order to get it done. Does it sound like anybody you know? I might have gotten a little bit of trouble last week talking about going into a club, into a bar where they serve alcohol and things like that, and it's kind of a motley crew in there. Um, but it was my wife's idea. <laughs> yeah, it really was her idea, but I gladly went. I get in trouble a lot for hanging out with people I probably um, shouldn't be hanging around. And we, we've all heard that probably from somebody uh, at one point or another where I actually heard a guy, you know, there was a guy that once said that that, that long-haired pot-smoking, and he was wrong in that, this kid didn't smoke pot, but that long-haired pot-smoking foul-mouthed drunkard is no one you want to hang around. It's been said in, in, in one way or another. You've probably heard it. It has been said. And I don't know where that idea comes from. Maybe it's 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33, where it says, Don't be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. But that's a total misapplication of that verse. Because what Paul was saying in there, he was quoting uh, a philosopher of the time who, who, who made that line, Bad company corrupts good morals. What, what he was saying is, don't be hanging around people in the church that deny the resurrection. That's what he was talking about. People in the church that deny the resurrection. That's who he was telling us to avoid. He wasn't telling us to avoid people out there in the world. And when we look at Jesus, this guy who came into this, this, this wretched hive, <laughs> he was the expected king, the long-expected king, bringing a greatly unexpected kingdom. And that's why he talked about old wineskins not being able to contain the new wine that he had to bring. So again, we're challenged. I'm challenged as I look at the scripture and as I look at Jesus 
And I wonder, just based on the people that he hangs around, do I have kind of an old wineskin way of thinking? Let's pray. Father, uh, what a what a wonderful thing it is to be known by you. What a, an amazing thing it is that you would step into our lives. Lord, that you would see this world for what it is and all the brokenness and all the sin and come here anyway. Lord, we pray that as we consider our Savior and we consider who he is and what he has done, that, Lord, it might shape something in our own lives, a a desire maybe that might even take us by surprise and lead us to a destination that we may not expect. Lord, you are amazing, and we pray again as we, as we look at the Gospel of Luke that, that, that we too, like the people, would be marveling, astounded, and amazed at you and amazed at what you might do in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Usually when we talk about the ministry of Jesus, it's broken down into two kind of categories. Uh, his ministry being summed up in his words, his teachings, his parables, and his works, his miracles. And we're missing a great big chunk of really what defines Jesus' ministry. It it, it isn't just those two things. In fact, they're kind of secondary to what the main thing was in his ministry, and that was his relationship with people. And when you read through the Gospels, you're going to see that most of Christ's relationships with people were along the way meaning while he was going from point A to point B. That meant, he says, I have to get here, and I have a thing to do there. And, and then along the way, he would encounter these folks. So you know what we call those things? Interruptions. And, and that's one of the things I've learned to love about Jesus, is that he welcomed interruptions into his life. He didn't see them as something that were foiling his plan. In fact, he saw them as the main reason that he came. He, he loved people interrupting his life. And he didn't care what kind of person they were that did that. So now let's look at this text, Luke chapter 15. Uh, We know this text for a very famous story that Jesus tells, but it's the setup of that story that I think is so important for us today. It says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with him, or eats with them. Now, that is a, that's, that's kind of a phrase that gets repeated often throughout the Gospels, is that, that Jesus was a friend of sinners. And you can see that some people were, thought that was outrageous, that he did that. They did not like that he was doing this. So, Jesus told them a parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he's found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing, and when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. So you see what was happening there? 
there's Jesus, and he's got all these people flocking to him, and they were an unsavory sort. They were all the scallywags, ragamuffins, and never-do-wells that, that society had cast aside. And they were flocking to him. And then the high and mighty, the movers and shakers of society, they were kind of looking down their noses at that and go, well, we really don't like that. You know, it's probably one of the reasons they said, how can this guy be the Messiah when you look at the company that he keeps? Obviously, there's something wrong with him. And so they grumbled about it. Jesus told a couple stories about this. When we look back at the text, it says tax collectors. Anybody here that works for the IRS? I have to learn how to ask that because nobody likes the tax man. Okay, it doesn't matter what culture you're from or what time of history you're from, the tax man is nobody's friend. We don't like him. You just say the words IRS, and we start making that into an acronym that you can't repeat in gentle company. Okay? Tax men, tax gatherers, the guys that knock on your door and take your money away from you. Well, talk about a, a hive of scum and villainy. It was the tax gatherers in Jesus' day. They were listed right up along with thieves and murderers. No, actually they weren't. Thieves and murderers were up here, tax collectors down here. That's how much they hated them. Because you see, the tax collector was a Jew who betrayed his people. Traitor. <laughs> Sided with the Roman government, the oppressors. And, and not only did they side with the, the, the oppressors, they worked for them. And they worked for them by collecting the Roman taxes. And not only did they collect the Roman taxes, they even kind of skimmed some of the profits for themselves on top of it, so they charged you more than the Romans were even charging you. Dogs. And Jesus hung out with them. It says that they were drawing near to him. And, and that's a concept that shows up a lot in Scripture, drawing near. If you've ever read James 4.8, here's what it says. It says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. And that's exactly what was happening with Jesus and these tax collectors and these sinners. They were drawing near to him. He was drawing near to them. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. And you know, when I read that, I suddenly went back to Luke 15, and I thought, who are the ones that really needed to clean their hands, and who are the ones that were double-minded? Was it the tax collectors? Or was it the guys grumbling about who Jesus ate dinner with? It says that they were doing this, drawing near to Jesus so that they might hear or listen. And, and the, the Greek word there is to pay attention to, uh, to attend, and to consider. And here's the most amazing thing that I always see. And remember, Luke is the gospel of amazing things. Is, is that the people who should have got it didn't. And the people that you didn't expect to get it were the ones that were really on board. So here were these, here was these guys that came out of this hive of scum and villainy drawing near Jesus because they wanted to know what he had to say. And they not only wanted to know what he had to say, they wanted to take it in. They wanted it to change their lives in some manner. And the response from, from the self-righteous religionist of that day was, well, I don't like that. That bothers me. I don't think I like having a, a Jesus 
that hangs around with that sort of person. And that hurts when I say that because it's real easy for me to think like that too. There is that sort of person in all of our minds. There is that sort of person that you just, no, no, you don't associate with them. Kind of like that, that long-haired, supposedly pot-smoking, foul-mouthed drunkard. And what they were so mad about was that Jesus was receiving these people. He says he receives them to himself. And, and, and again, the Greek word there for receiving means that, that he is giving them open access to him. He, he was coming on saying, come on in. Here I am. And that bothered them. It bothered them a lot. They also didn't like the fact that not only did he receive those people, but he also ate with them. Now, here in America, we'll eat with anybody at the drop of a hat. We don't care. But back in first century Palestine, sitting down at a table and eating with somebody was a huge deal. It was tantamount to signing a peace treaty with somebody that you've been warring with. Any kind of coming to terms with another person, any kind of making a covenant with, with, with the other person, was always done in the context of a meal. So when they talk about Jesus eating with them, they had this in their mind. It, it, it was this old custom of hospitality, that when sharing a table, it was indicative of two parties being at peace with one another and attaining a sense of oneness and agreement. So here's what they saw. This Messiah is at one and in agreement with tax collectors and sinners. There are some people that like to turn religion into a country club. There are some churches that even operate like country clubs. I've been in a couple. I was embarrassed to park my car in the parking lot because it left puddles when I parked it kind of like an untrained dog or something, you know? <laughs> and, and there are some times when you might attend a church where you might feel like, well, I just don't think I fit in here. I, I, I can't attain to the membership that are here. And sometimes people not realizing they're doing it are giving that impression that, yeah, you have to, you have to step it up if you want to run with the big dogs here. And that was sort of the Pharisees' mindset. So, so this was Jesus' response to these country-clubbing Pharisees. Oh, you don't like that? All right. Here's a story. A story about loss. A story about searching. A story about finding. And then a story about rejoicing. And, and, and the picture that Jesus gives there in rejoicing is it was a party. It, it was a celebration. And, and, you know, sometimes Christians don't like that word party. It scares us a little bit. That, you know, party, something, something untoward might happen if, the, if there's a party. We've got to be careful about that. You know, and that's because, see, we've, we've traded Christianity in for some kind of moral rule of conduct. Remember what I said last week? Is Jesus did not come to change one moral code for another. He came to change our broken condition for a living condition. Jesus was that guy who came and touched things that nobody should touch. He touched death and gave it life. He touched sickness and he gave it wholeness. He touched uncleanness and he gave it purity. 
That's what Christianity is supposed to look like. Not, oh, did we follow this rule or did we follow that rule? i got to try harder, don't I? I just don't feel like I'm right where I'm supposed to be, so shouldn't I just try harder? That's what God came to save us from. So when I gripe about the Pharisees, I don't gripe at them because I think they're a bunch of jerks. I gripe at them because they're me. It's so easy to fall in that same old wineskin way of thinking. And Jesus wants to shake us out of that. So what he does is he, he does things like tell us stories about shepherds. Oh, did you know that too? Right above tax collectors, shepherds. We think shepherds are awesome. We're going to have a, we're going to have a Christmas Eve pageant. That we're going to do the nativity. I want to be a shepherd. Yeah, that's that's a, that's the go-to role. We all know back in that day, there's a reason shepherds lived out in the countryside, separated from society. People didn't like shepherds. They were despised. They were looked down upon. They were not honored the way we look at them today. So, of all things, Jesus decides to tell these look down your nose Pharisees about some people they despise. And now they go look for lost sheep. And if one story wasn't good enough, Jesus has to tell another story. This time it's about a coin that gets lost. And his key character is, get ready for this, a woman. Yeah, again, because back in that day and age, women were not brought to the forefront. And again, read Luke. And see, how many times are women brought to the forefront of the story of Jesus Christ? He even depended on them for for maintaining his ministry, making sure he was clothed and fed. You just didn't tell stories that the heroine or the hero was a heroine, that it was a woman. So now they're like, what? Shepherds now? Now women looking for coins. And then he wasn't done. He decided to really get elaborate, and he tells us a story about the prodigal son, this little scumbag that wishes his father was dead so he can have the inheritance right now. Then he goes off and awaits the inheritance, and then what happens? He ends up eating pig slop. Pigs. Right up there with shepherds and tax collectors. Didn't like them. Jesus took all the things that they would have found despicable and said, let me make this this the main subject of my story here. And then he really punches us in the gut with that, that story of the prodigal son when we find out that the real prodigal wasn't that little wastrel that ran off and treated his dad like dirt. It was the jerk that stayed home, the older brother. There was the real prodigal. There was the guy that had wandered a long ways away from who his dad truly was. So Jesus wasn't veiling it. He wasn't making it sneaky. He was making it pretty clear. Hey, Pharisees, what's the matter with you? You're the ones who should get this, and you don't. Certain people in Jesus' day were absolutely outraged at him because he hung around people that you shouldn't hang around, according to the old wineskin way of thinking. And that mindset still exists today that there are people out there you just shouldn't be hanging around here's the list basically as as compact as i can make it out of the gospels of some of the folks that jesus was known to associate with lepers talked about one of them last week 
shepherds. Gentiles, like the centurion who believed that Jesus could heal a servant. Pig herders. Demoniacs in graveyards. Oh, people that live in graveyards to the Jew. Whoa, no, you you wouldn't touch them with a 10-foot pole. Women. Women who kissed his feet. Women who were Samaritans, and there's a double whammy right there because no, no well-thought-of Jew would associate with a Samaritan. Women who led immoral lifestyles. Women who broke the rules of that day by being disciples of a rabbi. Yeah, did you know that? That was against the rules, ladies. You, you couldn't be a, a follower of a rabbi, and yet Jesus has them by name. Remember Mary and how she got in trouble with her big sister? Well, I'm assuming she was the big sister because she kind of acted like one. Because I have a big sister. You know, I'm the run of the litter. That's all I can have, you know. <laughs> but remember, she, Jesus, would you tell my sister to get off, her, get off her duff and come and help me in the kitchen? And Jesus is like, whoa, Martha, don't worry about it, okay? She's chosen something even better. And that was to sit at his feet as a disciple of a rabbi. Jesus even extolled that as being a virtuous thing. That is way radical thinking for that day and age. He hung around poor people, grieving people, weak people, marginalized people, downtrodden people. Now, if you've ever read the Sermon on the Mount, he said, blessed are those people. Did you see who he chose for his disciples? Most of them were foul-mouthed fishermen. Because if you've ever hung around fishermen, sometimes they get a little off color. These are guys that went out. You remember the day that Jesus went up to Peter after Peter had been fishing all night and hadn't caught a single thing? And Jesus says, can I borrow your boat? (laughs) I need it as a pulpit. Because people are pushing me in the water. And Peter's like, okay, get in. And rose him out a little bit. And they get done with the sermon. And, and you know, Jesus had something better in a sermon waiting. And he says, hey, let's go fishing. And can you imagine, Peter? I, Lord, I've been fishing all night. Professional? Haven't caught a thing. Carpenter? And tell me how to fish, yeah. but okay, because he said so. You know, I can just imagine Peter does all right because you said so. You know, Jesus put it on that side, and I'm pretty sure Peter's like, oh. you know, and and then Jesus almost sinks his boat. They caught so many fish; they're so successful that 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 really wigged Peter out. I think he cussed that day. Doesn't say say so in the Bible. Did you know that the Apostle Paul? Use dirty words. Yeah, yeah, Paul, that great, wonderful Christian. You know, and we see how we do that. We measure Christians by how they behave. When Paul said that I consider all these things, and he was talking about being a Pharisee, all those things that he had done before he had met Jesus Christ, he said, all those things are, and our, our Bibles say, rubbish. Those things are but rubbish. You see, we're so goofed up as Christians that even when we translate the original language, we've got to clean it up a little bit. I won't say the word that Paul used there in its English equivalent, but you've got the idea. You don't say it in polite company, but he said it in the scriptures. 
shouldn't hang around people like that, talk like that. But Jesus did. He didn't just hang around foul-mouthed fishermen. He, he hung around traitors. Ooh, traitors. And oh my, Jesus hung around even religious wingnuts like Pharisees and scribes. Sinners. The whole ball of wax. He hung around the Pharisees, and he hung around the people that Pharisees hated. Anybody had open access to Jesus. You know, and why should that surprise us? Why, why should that take us by, you know, why should that be a novel thing that Jesus went where most people wouldn't go? Because that is a long-established pattern that had been developed in God's character from the book of Genesis all the way through. Who did God talk to? Well, Adam and Eve, yeah, you know. Even after they really messed up, he still, he still talked with them. But right after that, who was he talking to? Cain the man guilty of just killing his brother. And not only did he talk to him, he provided for him and he protected him. And that's just the beginning of the long line of people that God hung around with. Rahab, the Canaanite prostitute. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They should just call that business liars and sons. They got worse as the generations went on. I mean, Abraham, he told a couple little white lies. Jacob was a full-blown con man. Moses, a murderer. Aaron, an idol manufacturer. Samson, or any one of the judges, the Shofetim as we call them. How about King David and his mob of refugees living in the cave of Adullam? These were not savory fellows. That became David's mighty man. Solomon. Good Lord, Solomon. <laughs> Pastor Dwayne just talked about Elijah. Did he tell you about that one point in Elijah's life where he was a crybaby drama queen? <laughs> and that was one of the most intimate moments that Elijah had with God. Jeremiah, a quitter. Nebuchadnezzar, heathen. Let's just make it easy. God chose the people to represent himself who did not have the best history to boast about. And those people were going to produce the Messiah. He was going to come and hang out with them. And even though Israel didn't have this, this shining resume to put down on the table, God still chose them to be his people and for him to be their God. I want to read a, a scripture out of Isaiah that I highlighted this week because I was just reading along and this jumped out at me. I wasn't part of my sermon preparation. It just, wow, look at that. And, and I thought, this is, this is really a good verse for me when I think I got God all sorted out. Isaiah 57, verse 14, it says, uh, It will be said, build up, build up. Prepare the way. You know, and, and that's kind of indicative that God's going to do something pretty amazing. And, and what he's, when he's getting ready to do something pretty amazing, this is what he says. He says, build up. Build up. You know, and it's so easy for us to be a people that tear down, tear down. 
And, 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 and what needs to be built up? Well, something that has been torn down or someone that has been torn down. He says, build up, build up, prepare the way, and then remove every obstacle out of the way of my people. I remember when I first went into ministry, uh, I had this guy tell me, he says, here's what you want to do if you want to win teenagers to Jesus Christ. You have to remove every obstacle except for the cross. Don't let them stumble over anything, but let them run headfirst right into the cross. He says, make it easy for the most furthest out kid to run headlong into the cross. And that changed ministry programming a lot for me. I I started stripping away all these good Christian things that we do (laughs) that were actually getting in the way of kids seeing the cross. Build up, build up, prepare the way, remove every obstacle out of the way of my people. For thus says the high and exalted one who lives forever, whose name is holy, I dwell on a high and holy place and also with a contrite and lowly of spirit in order to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. See that? This one, I think I got God all sorted out. There he is in his high, most holy place, way up there in heaven, as far removed from all of us sinners as he possibly can get. He says, yeah, that's where I live, but I don't just live there. I also moved into your neighborhood. That's where I dwell. And, and, and you, can, you can cross-reference that and find several places where it says God draws near to those who are brokenhearted and lowly in spirit. All those people that we don't think we should be associating with. So the bottom line is this. Jesus approached or was approached by all the people that the self-righteous religionists avoided. So here's the question. Who are we avoiding? Who are we walking that big long circle around? Who are the people that we're not associating with? Take a look at 15.4, Luke 15.4. Just look at the tail end of that verse. Talking about that shepherd. He goes after the one that is lost until he finds it. Let that just resonate for a minute. Go after the one that is lost until it is found. People, that's my Jesus He went after the one that was lost until it was found. He's standing right here. They're sitting out there. He went after the one that was lost until it was found. And then he said, let's have a party. Because heaven's whooping it up right now. That one that, that, that I might be avoiding... That, that one that I'm thinking I probably shouldn't associate with, with such as those is probably the one that I should be going after until he is found. Oh, yeah, remember that, that long-haired, foul-mouthed, partying heathen that, that was, you know, we were told to avoid? He's the guy that just preached the sermon. Let's pray.
Lord, I am. I'm standing here in Mark Crossman's pulpit, very grateful for Mark Crossman and his family. Because his big brother didn't listen to that guy's advice, but kept going after me until Jesus found me. Lord, I have eternity. I have, I have the hope of, of dwelling with you forever and being in your presence. And I never could be worthy of that. I could never deserve that. But Lord, you sent someone looking for me. And, and now I get, to, I get to share in that family and, and in their ministry. Lord, forgive me for looking at people at times and avoiding them. Forgive us all, Lord, because, well, we do that. Lord, forgive us for the times that we started to think like the Pharisees. Lord, would you change our hearts? Would you make our hearts the sort that would go out into the darkest recesses of, of this world? Because that's, that's where the light needs to be. As Colton shared this morning, there's some real dark places out there in the world. Lord, we need to be going out there. That's where light shines the best. So, Lord, may we be a people that go after the one that is lost until he is found. And may we give heaven cause for rejoicing. We cannot do it in our own power, Lord. We need you. So would you come into our lives as broken, as wrecked as they might be? Would you enter into this, this person that's me, this, this hive of scum and villainy? Would you come here anyway? And Lord, would, would you make my heart your heart? Would you make all of our hearts your heart? That we might take the wonderful news of this most amazing King and Lord and Savior and share it with those that are so desperate, so desperate to know it. And may your kingdom celebrate. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.